For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. The conversation continues with Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Hello and welcome to Wednesday's Sonia Poulton Show on today's news network, TNT. We are here, it's hump day, but it is not going to be a bump in the road for us. That I can assure you. I just, I'm sitting here thinking as a journalist, why does another journalist have to put out a video justifying why he is interviewing somebody? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous what the lengths that Tucker Carlson has had to go to. Um, and, you know, like jump through hoops to explain, to justify. I would jump at the chance of interviewing President Putin. What journalist wouldn't? And the reason that Carlson has had to is because it tells you how bought and sold the entire American press is, that they've come after him to slaughter him. And he's absolutely right. All we ever hear is from Zelensky. Well, it's time to hear from Putin. I, for one, can't wait to hear that interview, frankly. And happy birthday, Charles Dickens, born 1812 uh, on this day. February the 7th, an Aquarian um, and uh, English journalist, novelist. He created characters such as Oliver Twist, uh, David Copperfield, and he beautifully captured the duality of the Victorian era. And it was it's funny because I actually quoted him yesterday while talking to journalist Sally Beck. And I quoted the intro of A, a Tale of Two Cities, which famously was it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness, et cetera, et cetera. And it still resonates today. Absolutely it does. So happy birthday, Charles Dickens. And I always like to respond to our viewer requests. And Helen Teasdale on Twitter, X of course now, good morning to you. Helen said, Sonia, could you chat about Channel 4's To Catch a Copper? Some of the most horrendous injustice I've seen. Police policing the police. I honestly wonder if they put these programs out to rub it in our faces. Well, you do have to wonder, Helen. I, I appreciate that. But at your request, I did watch the first episode. It's about Avon and Somerset Police. It's a real life uh, thin blue line, which I adored. I don't know if you're familiar with it, which is a BBC uh, drama. And it's about the anti-corruption unit at the Metropolitan Police. That's what the, the thin blue line is. This was set in Avon and Somerset Police. Some of the incidents that have been captured in this programme are so highly distressing because they involve police officers mocking people who were dealing with awful mental episodes. And I was actually listening to a report today about how we are lit we're literally, we're, we're incapable in England of looking after people properly with mental health issues. So we're now just bunging them into prison cells. Absolutely ridiculous. And this program exemplified what is going on. There was a woman who was so mentally and emotionally distressed. She was going to throw herself off of Clifton Suspension Bridge, which is in Bristol, which is to the sort of southwest of England. And she was treated as an absolute criminal rather than somebody who was having a clear mental and emotional episode. And it was just horrendous what was captured on camera her you know clothes being ripped off of her in the cells by about six or seven coppers absolutely awful this is similar to a story of a woman i interviewed regarding manchester police and i believe that that's currently a live case i'm not going to go into any great detail about it but still very very similar and uh, the, the thing is, a lot of these cases of police corruption and misconduct then go to the IOPC, which is the Independent Office for Police Conduct. And this is what Helen is referring to. And the problem is, is that uh, the IOPC is hugely staffed by ex 
Coppers, in 2022, 81,000 complaints were sent to the IOPC and fewer than 1% resulted in a formal misconduct proceedings. And according to the most recent figures of 2023, the IOPC, which has a, a, a total staff of, of 544, out of 544, 136 uh, ex-police. This is teachers marking their homework, right? You cannot really have the police policing the police. Don't get me wrong, policing is a hellishly hard job. Lots of people genuinely join the force because they want to do good. They want a better world. They want to make a positive change. But many of them change along the way. It's as if they're staring too long in the abyss and the abyss starts to stare back at them. And uh, I've met many cops who have PTSD from the horrendous violence and confrontations that they have to deal with. But the, Helen, in answer to your question, no, I think it's absolutely wrong that the IOPC is there to oversee police complaints. Not that the body exists, but that it is largely and hugely staffed by ex-police. That is too compromised as far as I can see. And uh, just want to say that yesterday I received an email about Nurse Lucy Letby. You may or may not be familiar with her. And it was somebody who's made a, vin a video about the potential for a miscarriage of justice. And I will be looking into this case. But the reason I raised that up is I, I stopped reading that email and I went onto YouTube for some reason and all of my videos were about Lucy Letby and that completely freaked me out. I know, I know it's all linked up, but my email is Yahoo and YouTube is obviously Google, but I just fell. Oh my God, Big Brother is just everywhere, everywhere, as indeed he or she is. And on that note, I will be back with Gemma Cooper. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello, Gemma. How are you doing today? Hello, Sonia. Well, Avon and Somerset Police is a stone's throw from where I live in the West Country. Literally, you know, it's, I could walk to it in 10 minutes. And uh, one of my former bosses at the BBC, where I used to work for in the West Country, is now head of communications there at Avon and Somerset Police. And I suspect had a, had a big hand in working with Channel 4 and, 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 and seeing how this programme came to light, because, of course, it's all PR. It is all PR. Um, and I do wonder with the cases that we're seeing on that programme. I, too, started to watch it. I hardly watch television at all, uh, but I'd seen enough uh, pre-publicity about this program and I did think well this is this is my police force this is what my council tax goes towards paying you know so I thought let's have a look but I found it so distressing that I I, I turned it off after 10-15 minutes I, I couldn't bear to watch it um, and, and it, it doesn't just show the police behaving badly it just shows the level of disintegration of our society and you talk about Charles Dickens there you actually quoted that to me yesterday as well because we were talking about the dentist story, which I have an update on, a positive update, I'm pleased to say, but we saw hundreds of people queuing around the block to just to get people to look into their mouths. You know, in Britain, in a first world country, people can't get into the dentist. I'm pleased to say that as a result of those shocking, that shocking video footage, there is a positive outcome to that. But um, yeah, that whole program, that whole Avon and Somerset Police program. And uh, is it just Avon and Somerset Police? Of course not. Of course not. No, of course not. And absolutely, of course, it was you that I quoted it to. But how funny that I quoted you, Charles Dickens, and then I discovered that it's his birthday today. It's synchronicity. That's what it is. But it is. It's the stark contrast of times, isn't it? And, I, you know, I have to say, Gemma, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think for a second this is limited only to Avon and Somerset Police. And again, she's absolutely right. This is about PR. There's absolutely no way they would allow the cameras to go in unless they could prove somehow that they're the good guys in this. We know how it works, don't we, Gemma? 
We do indeed. Um, and it will be all dressed up in the end of like, look at what the police are up against. Look at the levels of violence the police have to take. Um, and I'm not I'm not uh, disparaging that, actually. And I, they're human beings, too. Um, but of course, you've got the weight of the law on your side. You've got the weight of the uniform on your side. You've got the weight of your body armor on your side. And you've got the weight of the truncheon on your side, you know, and you, we don't carry our police routinely don't carry guns in this country as a matter of daily patrols. Um, but you have your colleagues as well and you're trained. You're trained, you would think. Some of the footage I saw didn't show much training, actually. And um, I did cover a shocking story with Rick Munn on uh, Locked and Loaded yesterday about deaths in police custody, which you would have hoped were a thing of the past here in the UK. Far from it. And some of the restraining message methods used in prison don't look uh, very official either. So, yeah, there's a lot to our police force, you know, and I do think people go in with good intentions. And I, I, I pose this question to Rick. Does the system train it out of you? your every last bit of empathy and compassion. Is it the system that trains it out of you once you enter the forces? Or do you go in because you haven't got much empathy and compassion to begin with? That's the debate. That's the debate. It's been ongoing for quite some time now. I don't have the answers. Yeah. I, I don't know who does. No, I definitely don't. I do know that there are a lot of external influences that operate on these police, including Freemasonry, including common purpose. And those things are very real and they do exist. And so sometimes I, it must be quite difficult to be in those situations. I interviewed Dave Eden recently. He's a whistleblower, ex-Met cop. And uh, <clears throat> he said, you know, it is, it is extremely difficult. The pressure to conform is so intense that almost policing becomes a secondary issue. So, you know, really, really troubling stuff. But just to go back to what you're talking about, about dentistry. So that is really good, isn't it? So that that that's seeing some movement on that issue. Well, I wonder if, uh, you know, the powers that be were listening to TNT yesterday as we talked about this story, because as I say, the video footage went everywhere of hundreds and hundreds of vulnerable people queuing around the block. Uh, funnily enough, again, in Bristol, but the, the story went absolutely everywhere um, because it was the first NHS dentist in, in nearly a year and people had no access to NHS dental treatment, free dental treatment effectively, um, you know, and couldn't afford to go private. Now, as a result of that video footage and that story going viral, the government is going to announce today Today, just a few hours time that it's going to give uh, dentists a golden £20,000 hello uh, to go into areas which have lacking NHS dentistry. They're called dental deserts um, and it's a one-off lump sum payment. I don't think it will even come under tax um, to get more dentists into these areas where people are just struggling to get dental care. Um, dentists will also be paid £50 for every NHS patient they see that hasn't had an appointment within the last two years. And you know how many people in the UK haven't had a dental appointment in the last two years? It is nearly half the population, Sonia. 30 million people in the UK have not been to the, have couldn't afford to go private and have not been able to access NHS dentistry in the last two years. Half the population. So they clearly saw the government, the, the, the reaction to that story yesterday, and they've done something about it pretty quick. Unsurprisingly, we're in an election year, but let's take this as a victory and think of everyone who can now get access to treatment as a result of this. That's 240 dentists being plowed into these dental deserts to try and fix this problem. That is excellent news, though. And that's the thing. If we have any purpose, surely it's to create that sort of level of pushback where we can balance up society a bit better. I, I've never heard that expression. What did you say? Dental deserts. Dental deserts, yeah. It's been banded around for the last few years um, because people have been aware of this problem. This is not a new problem. People have known for de decades now, decades, at least 20 years, that how difficult it is 
to access NHS dentistry, to access dental treatment. Another, it's just another form of the NHS. It's like going to get a smear test or a breast screening or, or a checkup, a prostate checkup. You know, it's your mouth. It's, a, it's another part of the body. But it's just been so difficult for people to do it. And they've known it and they've known it and they've known it. Everybody's known it. But these, this, this story from Monday that we discussed yesterday, you know, that the police had to be called, Avon and Somerset police had to be called to police the queue of people so desperate to get a checkup. Um, that's the state of Britain. And I think it, the powers that be just thought we're in an election year. Let's do something. Let's 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 paper over these cracks as quickly as is humanly possible um, and, and, and make these lump sum payments. Whether £20,000 per dentist will be enough to encourage people into these these areas. Some of them are rural. Some of them are in socially deprived areas. Dentistry is a very, you know, lucrative position, uh, profession, especially if you have a private practice. Will people be willing to, to forego that and just take the 20,000 uh, and, and go out and do the right thing? That remains to be seen. Uh, maybe the government might have to bump up these figures, but they clearly know they have to do something about it after what we saw um, at the beginning of the week, um, because it really was shocking. It was, as you say, return to Victorian Britain, the best of times, the worst of times, the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor. So let's hope that this uh, does begin to solve the problem of accessing healthcare in the UK. But I could not believe the figure. I had to do a double take. Half the population, 30 million people, have not been able to afford or access the dentist in the last two years here in Britain. I find that astonishing. Tell us in the chat if that's been your experience as well. I mean, it is hellishly expensive, Gemma. When I booked to have my teeth cleaned, 90 pound, 90 pound to have my teeth cleaned. It's absolutely ridiculous and not everybody can afford that. And they, But now, you know, the dentists have got it that you really need to have your teeth cleaned before you even have a checkup. Right. They've got it. They've got it so much. You know how the system is. They've got it down pat. It, just so horrendous to hear those figures that you're quoting there. And toothache is truly, I think, one of the worst ever pains because it affects your entire body. Like when you have a toothache, everything, you cannot focus or concentrate on anything. Sometimes you can isolate pain. If you've got like a arthritic pain in your leg or whatever, but a toothache takes over your whole body, utterly miserable. And I don't like the way that it's been downgraded over the last few years. It's like, oh, that's another area of the NHS that we can sort of parcel out there. And it's the same as um, with chiropody as well. I mean, just the same stuff. It's absolutely horrendous. It's been going on for at least 15 years and uh, really horrendous stuff. But we are here to provide that pushback. As Gemma said, the fact that police had to be called to a dental queue really tells us so much, doesn't it, Gemma? It does indeed. It does indeed. And, uh, you know, you would think that, that, you know, to catch a copper following Avon and Somerset police around to sort of weed out the bad apples, as it were, or the bad apples we're allowed to see on television. Uh, are they going to follow the the coppers to the uh, the dental queues to, to show the shocking state of uh, health for the vulnerable in this country? Let's see if that makes it on to catch a copper, shall we? Because that's, uh, that's the Britain we're living in. Hopefully, though, change is coming. Absolutely. Um, Shug in the comments said, I yanked one of my own teeth out just before Christmas. Goodness me. I mean, these wow. are, these, these, <laughs> I know, I know. Wow. Uh, Craig, Craig in Bow said, the police were just filling in. Ha ha, joke so early in the morning. <laughs> and uh, yes, Holly, downgraded indeed. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And our teeth are so vital for so much. Um, but never mind anyway, Gemma, because they're getting rid of meat and they're rearing it all in laboratories. So we're not going to even need teeth anymore anyway. So, um, and uh, on that note, everybody, this has been Wednesday's edition with Gemma Cooper and I. I will be back very shortly.
TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago, while ex exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done, and in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. This is generally the view of people, oh, we don't know much about Assange. Well, you should know, because whether you know it or not, he is fighting for you. For your courage and leadership and tenacity in journalism and publishing. Since 2010, Assange has been held in progressively narrower, darker, colder and crueler spaces. He has been detained since the 7th of December 2010 in one form or another. And we are now here after years of imprisonment. WikiLeaks is a non-state hostile intelligence service. I think the man is a high-tech terrorist. A high-tech terrorist. A traitor, a treasonist. He has to answer for what he has done. Assange faces up to 175 years in prison for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes. The U.S. government narrative about Julian is a complete fraud. It is a complete fraud from A to Z. Julian took on the most powerful countries in the world, basically all of them. We now have confirmed that there were plans to kidnap Julian here in the center of London, or even assassinate him. No one who instigated that illegal and immoral war has been brought to justice. But the great truth teller sits behind bars. If wars can be started by lies, Peace can be started by truth. Julian Assange is a hero. What if everything we thought we knew about somebody was a lie? Would we be willing to go on a new journey of understanding? This is a story of deception, lies, bravery, and a man who risked everything to bring the truth to light. Mr. Assange shows all the symptoms that are typical for a person that has been exposed to psychological torture over a prolonged period of time. He looked at me intensely and said, I hate to say this. He then hesitated, visibly troubled and searching for words. And then he finally said, please, save my life. May future generations have the ability to speak without restraint. May our children and their children know truth and have access to information that leads to justice. Wherever Julian goes, free speech goes with him. If there is a bird that is about to take flight, stretch her wings and rule the skies, may it be a peace star and no longer 
bald eagle. If you think Assange is a traitor, he's a rapist, he's a narcissist, he's a hacker, I don't blame you because you have been deceived. And if you think you've not been deceived, that's normal because otherwise it wouldn't be deception. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. They are dr- they are swapping horror stories about teeth in the comments. I don't even want to read some of them out. But suffice it to say, we have a dental emergency in the UK. Now, just to say before I bring in my next wonderful guest, for all the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, and fundraisers happening near you, please visit the What's On Events calendar on the TNT website at tntradio.live, and you can stay in touch on today's News Talk TNT. And on that note, I am delighted to bring in, well, frankly, someone that I would consider an old friend these days. We've worked together for a very long time, actually, and I couldn't wait to bring her on my new show. She is Lucinda Lidston. She is a senior clinical psychotherapist, and she's so wise that I am delighted to have her here with us today. Hello there, Lucinda. Hello, and good morning. Great to be back with you. Wonderful to have you with us, and uh, absolutely wonderful. And well, Lucinda is here to talk about ADHD. ADHD has had an exponential rise over the last few years. The NHS figures show that the biggest rise in ADHD has been been amongst adults with treatment increasing fivefold in the 25 to 39 age bracket compared with 2015. There's also been a significant increase in children. There's um, a new study out and uh, some of the experts are saying this is not about ADHD, this is about all manner of other issues. And I thought, well, I know somebody smart enough to separate the wheat from the chaff. And here she is, Lucinda. Tell us what's going on. What are your thoughts about this increase in ADHD, Lucinda? Well, my thoughts are many, but the article that you actually sent me, the angle of it was that um, the idea is that we can get a lot more benefits uh, because you can classify your child as disabled and get a lot more income. And so that was the angle of this story that people are kind of faking ADHD or sort of ramping up symptoms, et cetera, to claim benefits. You know, okay, interesting angle, but <laughs> I really don't think we can explain the exponential rise by saying that people are just after extra money at all. Um, and certainly this is something I've been saying to you for a long time, that we're seeing an increase in ASD, autistic spectrum disorders and ADHD. And why? And I've said to you before, it seems amongst my colleagues, we're all agreeing and we all say, oh, yeah, you know, do you think they've got ADHD? But nobody seems to be asking why and what we're going to do about this. You know, and so up to five percent of our children being diagnosed with ADHD. And so I thought initially perhaps we could talk about the diagnosis process so there in the dsm-5 there's a list of possible symptoms that you might have and so the psychiatrist will talk to you and then decide okay you've got a significant number of this list of criteria and you have to have had that those symptoms over a significant period of time and in all environments so for a child at home as well as at school and then you'll possibly be given the diagnosis of adhd 
But unlike a, a physical illness, you don't have a blood test, you don't have a brain scan. So really, it's just guesswork. And then we'll prescribe this medication and hope that you see some effects. And there's there's no doubt that, you know, you do get extreme cases and medication absolutely does help those children. It does. You, you can't say that it doesn't. But I think we're too keen to medicate our children and we don't consider what the short-term and long-term effects of that medication might be so for instance short term for, for kids for medication is loss of appetite weight loss sleep problems which is um probably one of their symptoms in the first place they have disordered sleep um social withdrawal you, you might see that they develop tics and there might be some minor growth delay and for long term, it gets even worse. So for an adult that's been on medication for a significant uh, period of time, there's heart disease, high blood pressure, um, chance of seizure, irregular heartbeat and skin discolorations and some issues with addiction. So, you know, I think we have to we have to think, OK, so we want this short term we want this child to be instantly able to concentrate at school and to not be so impulsive and to be able to sleep properly. So we medicate them, but we're not thinking that that's not really a solution, is it? Because what are we saying? That forevermore you've got to be on these medications that might have other significant effects. Yeah, it is troubling. Absolutely. And also there is the issue, of course, that um, I've read about, about how you can outgrow ADHD. Now, we're going to go to the news headlines in a second, Lucinda. But I just want to say that some of the things that you just talked about, I had some of those as a child. I had tics. I did weird things with my nose and everything. And uh, and I, I think, and, and I know this is something that we'll talk about when we come back, and it is about pathologizing people, isn't it, largely? Yeah. That is a real issue going on. We're going to go to the news head headlines with Matt Boyle, and we will be back very shortly on this incredible discussion about ADHD. The conversation continues. You guys are awful positive today for what we're witnessing. It's that division that they want to push. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Despite the White House's best efforts to stop him, Tucker Carlson has secured an interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin. India's Prime Minister has pledged to make his country's economy the third largest on earth. Argentina is relocating its embassy in Israel to West Jerusalem. And Donald Trump has vowed to appeal a federal court ruling denying him presidential immunity in a lawsuit accusing him of trying to overturn the 2020 election. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. We're here discussing the exponential, really global rise of ADHD. And I've been looking at some of the figures around the world. An estimated 8.7 million adults in the US have been diagnosed with ADHD. That's approximately 2.6% of, and uh, uh, the total, sorry, worldwide is approximately 2.6%. Now, this is huge. This is so significant. And we were just talking before we went to the break with Lucinda Lidston about the constant need to pathologize people, Lucinda. Sometimes these are just phases and stages that people are going through, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think with the internet, and, and particularly for young people on TikTok, there's so much information there. And if a kid's struggling, that they're going to look for, okay, something's wrong with me. So you're already coming from a position of something's wrong. And then I, you know, all of these things are on a spectrum. So all of us are going to have some of these symptoms. And then they talk to other people and they think, oh, yeah, I can, I can recognize that. I resonate with that. Therefore, I must have ADHD. And then that gives that young person a sense of community you know, some answers, etc. But as you said, oftentimes, how much do we grow and change from being children? We grow, grow and change throughout our entire lives. Um, so, and, and I think the other thing um, that I'd like to say is that information is not wisdom. You know, and kids come into my into my clinic and they're, they're well read, you know, they think they've got all this information, they say all the right words. But part of working with somebody and for a psychiatrist, part of diagnosis is your wisdom and your experience. Because some people, it's obvious straight away that something's not right. And other people, it's not. You know, we're, we're complex human beings, aren't we? We're, there's all sorts of dynamics happening in our body and in our minds. And that's really, really hard to diagnose. And so, but some people, no doubt about it, some people love to have a diagnosis. And we've said before, there are trends in mental health, the same as there are fashions in all things. And at the moment, it does seem to be ADHD. And as you said at, at the top of the section, it's adults saying that they've got ADHD. But my question always is, so, okay, so what is causing this? So if you just think about going back when you and I were kids, you know, maybe 80% of kids walked to school, you know, and they walked to school on their own and they had play without adults being there and they had play outside, you know, as long as it was daylight, you were outside in all weathers. So, you know, a kid naturally has got lots of energy, hasn't it? So where are these children burning off their energy? They're a lot less active. Mm -hmm. We know, we know mm -hmm. that we've got a terrible rise in childhood obesity. And coupled with that, Children are on a screen from when they're babies. And so I was just yes. thinking this morning <clears throat> about nature, being in nature. And think about natural sounds like birdsong, the sound of the sea, the sound of the wind, things like that, the sound of rain. Like natural sounds are really calming to the nervous system. But what are children brought up with? They're brought up with flashing lights. Um, artificial sound, loud yeah, sound. Yeah, really hyperactive about, stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's about stimulus. You know, and although you and I might not be aware of it, when we're looking at this screen, it's flickering. It's flickering yes. at us, isn't yes. it? You know, so all the while you're overstimulating that child. And, and I think that's half the story. The nervous system is completely on alert all the time and there's no mm. downtime it's really hard for mm. children to relax um and also as we know we're, we're full of toxins aren't we toxins right. in our that, i was going to come to that there must yeah. be some contributing factor there in terms of vaccines um in terms of our food in terms of the the high processed food and drink that people are are taking in these days yeah, and everywhere you go, you know, you've got EMFs, you've got what they're spraying in the sky, as you've said, your, your food, your water. So there, so we are absolutely trying to combat these toxins all the time. And the human body is designed to be in a state of balance, isn't it? But our modern way of living 
you know, it's been so, it's happened so quickly. I mean, even since COVID, all this, this interaction we have over screens and it's lovely, you know, it's been great to meet you that way, but it is artificial and we're becoming more and more disconnected from the environment and our minds and our brains cannot keep up with that at all. So you you refer to a form of what appears to be a type of social contagion that is sort of entering your practice room where children are coming in and they've seen this stuff on the internet. Is that a social contagion, do you think? I think some of it is, yeah. And, and, you know, a couple of years back, of course, it was the whole gender identity issue. And that seems to have calmed down a little bit now. And now, and now absolutely, is ADHD is full full front in the spotlight. Absolutely. And I, and I do think there's patterns to things, as I said. Um, you know, and, and also, I think sometimes it makes a, a child feel special or for an adult that struggles a lot with anxiety or whatever it might be, it, it gives them something to pin it on, doesn't it? But ultimately, right. what does a diagnosis do? ultimately it helps prescribe medication but beyond that what does it really do for you you've still got to learn about how to manage your life and if we think about education for a minute how how has education declined we all know that education now is just about teaching children the propaganda basically you know they're all learning about climate change etc and teaching them to obey rules, not, not have any critical thinking. So there's so education has completely transformed. And, right. and really, what are we saying? That in order to get our children to sit there and pay attention in the way that we want them to, we've got to medicate them to do that? Right. Horrendous, isn't it? Craig in the comments is asking about this, the, the rise of adult ADHD. So what you're saying hugely explains what's going on regarding children. What about regarding adults? Are we adults still going through the same thing, all the stimulus, all the flashing lights, all of that sort of thing? Because sometimes... I, you know, sometimes I think I'm on some sort of spectrum or another, according to what everybody else is telling me. And you can get a bit like that, can't it? It's like, oh, I can't concentrate for five minutes. I must have ADHD. But there must be more involved than just sort of a lack of concentration and being hyperactive. So any idea about why so many adults are now being diagnosed? Well, as with all things with mental health, it's not an easy answer, is it? Um, but I think you see so many other things can get misdiagnosed if there's been a lot of trauma it's all about the nervous system if there's been a lot of trauma and sometimes if there's been a lot of disturbance in the household that gets passed into children or maybe as an adult you've always struggled with a bit of social anxiety or you've always struggled to be organized or you know you can't concentrate because you're you're anxious your nervous system stimulated all the time and so some people will want to go on a journey and of self-discovery and try and work with that. But other people, they don't choose to do that. They don't want to do that. They want an easy answer. And, and no doubt about it, it gives a lot of people some relief. It really does. I know people in my extended family who suddenly realized, oh, my God, that really makes sense of everything for me and why I've always struggled. Right. Right. So. You know, if that makes them feel better, who am I to say that that's not okay for them? But but really, all all we're doing, giving somebody a diagnosis, is we're describing a set of symptoms. We're not really helping that person function at all, and we're not looking, more importantly, at why. Why more for children? Why more for adults? And that's my question. We, you know, we shouldn't just be blindly accepting. Oh, yeah, here's another child manifesting ADHD or ASD. We should be asking why and doing something about it. 
And yes, that's absolutely. one of my colleagues. As one of my I colleagues said, yeah, sorry. How, how many people, how many people, how many children need to be diagnosed as being, you know, something unusual with them before we realize actually this is nothing to do with with our human frailty it's to do with our disconnection from the environment perfect ending absolutely see i told you she was brilliant everybody everybody this has been lucinda lidston i will be back very shortly do not go away Give me a minute with tnt radio's steve malsberg last week when corinne jean pierre was asked about the position of Joe Biden when it comes to late-term abortions, she had the phony rhetoric ready to go. What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Do those unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not going to get into that specific. I'm not going to get into that question. Rights for unborn babies? What are you, mad? <laughs> but let's take a look at how Americans really feel about the issue of abortion. This is from Gallup, May of last year. Only 34% of Americans believe abortion should be legal under all circumstances. 34%. A majority, 64%, say limited circumstances or not at all. And in the same poll, only 22% of Americans believe third trimester abortion should be legal at all. It just shows that Corinne Jean-Pierre and her leftist buddies are a bunch of liars. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready. Because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov kids. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Just to remind you all, of course, that TNT will be at the High Court later this month. Last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20th and 21st at the UK High Court. This is to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT, as I say, will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. And you know why? Because we are lighting the fuse for freedom on today's News Talk TNT. And talking about which, I am delighted to be joined by a colleague. His name is Pele and Nereth Taylor. I hope I've pronounced that right. Is it Pele or Pell? Pele, with two syllables. Pele. Pele. Yeah. Pele. Beautiful. Pele, of course, I'm sure you are familiar with him. He is a journalist, a filmmaker, a political writer, author of numerous books, and as I say, a host on today's News Talk TNT. You are currently residing in Sweden, of course. You have many mm -hmm. areas of expertise, but today we're going to talk primarily about Sweden, a country I know a little bit about, having a number of wonderful Swedish friends. But you've done quite a significant amount of work about multiculturalism, really interesting stuff. And one of the things that you had said in one of your reports, and I'd like to start on this, was about and I'm going to quote you, the beauty about mm. Sweden 
is the emptiness. And I mm. thought that was such a profound statement. I, I felt the same thing when I've been there as well. Explain mm. to people what you mean by that. Well, if you look at a, a population map of Europe, it's all it's it's all red or purple, uh, apart from Spain, I think. But Sweden and Scandinavia is this last wilderness in, in Europe. And uh, when I go to the UK, um, you feel there's a there's a sort of density of history and civilization. Um, there's still that feeling of coming from the barbarian Viking north, you know, and mm -hmm. pillaging. When you come off the plane, um, you're sometimes with Swedish businessmen and they have this sort of hopeful enthusiasm. And you know that they think that there's a kind of Viking spirit in them. They think that the British will take them on and and they, they have a slip. They're, they're more polite and so on. And we're kind of more we're faster or whatever. Uh, but then you go back to Sweden and something in the air and you, it, it's cooler and just the traffic is slower and you have these uh, really beautiful, uh, beautifully maintained country roads. You get out into the countryside. And I think that's where a lot of car advertisements are shot, especially up in Lapland, which has got a density, which is far, far smaller. I mean, I think the UK is overtaken Holland. I mean, England, as opposed to the UK, has overtaken Holland as the most densely populated country in Europe. And when I go back there, uh, I've been away for a few years. I mean, it's 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 less white and and more densely populated, isn't it? So I mean, it's 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 rising by seven hundred thousand a year. And although Sweden is also getting a lot of immigration, in, especially in relation to its population, uh, probably higher, it's still a, a, an empty country. So it's getting about 100, 120,000 a year in a population of eleven million. So it's increasing by one percent a year turning into another country. And that's very noticeable, but still, I mean, the population is very low. So, um, and, and of course it's got, it's still got very high standards of living in terms of uh, infrastructure and so on. So the roads are good. The supermarkets are excellent. And um, uh, it's, but you have this, and, and if you come from Britain, you know, where um, you sometimes feel as if you're living in this giant ribbon development. Um, ah. I know. I mean, well, I don't know. So I'm being maybe I'm being unfair, but no, no, I do understand exactly what you're saying. But you were so you were born in London, and yeah. you you now reside in Sweden. So, so yeah. would you call yourself an immigrant? Funnily enough, I'm not even sure actually, because I, I, I speak Swedish. My, I'm half Swedish. I got two passports. Right. And I I, I don't feel particularly. You asking really good questions actually. Um, this is almost like a therapy session, but I mean, I could go oh. on about this for, for another hour. Okay, that um, wasn't intended. I, let, let, but... just right, right. I, I'm, I'm an ex. I sometimes think of myself as an exile from the UK mainstream media. Uh, and here on TNT allows me to say things that I could never say if I worked for the Guardian, you know, or something like that. And it also gives Goodness me a perspective no. on the UK, you know, because that. Um, so I feel like Solzhenitsyn in in the exile in uh, in America or something. Okay, and I feel I've like an you. emigre or whatever immigrant. Yeah, I do feel like an immigrant. I mean, um, well, that's interesting. The reason I asked you that is obviously one. So one of the, the the films that you've made is about Sweden dying to be multicultural, which you made in twenty seventeen, and you've you've yeah. lived in many places, and you have what would probably be deemed by most British people a decently cultured background and yeah. uh, you've lived in Brussels and Prague and obviously now yeah. Sweden and you, yeah. what you talk about quite extensively is the impact on immigration on Sweden and the reason I asked you about what what you would consider yourself yeah. is because my impression is you're not necessarily talking about immigration as such you're talking about the impact of Islam is 
of Islam on Sweden. Yeah. Is that more accurate? Well, no, no, not necessarily. Actually, I'm, I'm I rather take the opposite view. Actually, I don't know much about this. I mean, the 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 the, the anti-immigration uh, people in Sweden are kind of divided between the people who worry about Islam and the people who worry about immigration generally, right? Um, and I worry about immigration generally, uh, in which I include Islam, right? So, I mean, I think that um, the let's say even even if you imported a million Google engineers from China who all paid their taxes, I would have a problem with that. Okay, right. So <laughs> I take your because, point. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's not because there's an imbalance the there, right? Well, you can be anti-racist. You can be. Pro, I mean, you could be pro-Palestine and anti-immigration, for instance, or right. what you, yeah, you see, I mean, you can be pro-human rights and anti-immigration. You can be whatever, pro-limited uh, immigration. I just think that what you've, what I've seen in Sweden, um, which to me was a very innocent, it was like um, coming to, I don't know, Lothlorien or something like that, to take a Lord of the Rings parallel, these elves devoted to beautiful things living in an empty country that had been spared war. Far, the, Brit, the Swedes are far less aggressive than the Brits, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, oh, absolutely. And the Swedish male in particular is far less macho. I mean, if the, if the Brits think the Latinos are macho, the Brits are like Latinos for the Swedes, you know, always right. posturing and right. laughing Interesting. at pubs and things like that, you know? Interesting. And, um, so, but but you've seen this change, haven't you? Because you actually describe yeah, multiculturalism exactly. in Sweden as as a reckless social experiment. Yeah, well, it is because it, Sweden is a high, very high tax country, and it requires you to be integrated into the system. I mean, but and people pay those high taxes because there's a sense of trust that they'll get something back, and they're going to be living in that system for a long time. You pay high taxes, but then you get your university paid for your healthcare paid for. It's not made, Swedish tax system is not made for a mobile population that dips in and out of the country. Um, Swedes uh, have a very high unspoken understanding. It's not in Britain, much less, or Britain maybe, but I mean, Britain has had an empire and, and, and I don't know, bigger country and so on. But Sweden is a, a, a sort of isolated peasant country for hundreds of years and so much is unspoken. It's a sort of country we can, you know, you have that experiment, you drop, you leave, so, so, social psychologists leave their wallet in the street and see if it gets returned, right? right. I think Helsinki and Stockholm, it's like 100%, but in Athens, it's like 0%, you know? So right. it's that kind of trust, social. Uh, and then what I see as a, as a bilingual is that, um, and it's true of every country, I guess, is that there's so much Swedish culture that, like say, I have my girlfriend, and I have a Swedish mother, but she talks with her friends about cultural references on TV shows that I'm totally uninterested in, and I don't have any knowledge of. And and I mean, what what if you're someone who's just arrived from Somalia? You can't put up put Sweden on a map, you know. And if you look at the school classes here, I, I'm, I'm quite next to school. It's 50% non-white, and they'll have their references. And what is going to be that common culture? The culture of the young generation in Sweden is some kind of melange of rap music. American hip hop culture, tattoos. I mean, the lowest common denom denominator, that's where Sweden meets. It meets sort of sex music videos or whatever. And all it's transforming. I mean, all those old references that Swedes had, they could discuss with each other. It's unique. It's like a, it's like an ecosystem. Well, it's like, yeah. 
I think this is an important point you raise. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you is because I am a, a professed multicultural creature. I absolutely love living in multicultural environments. That doesn't mean I don't think there is space to hear what people like you have to say, because there is definitely a fear and it's being constantly crowded out and shouted down as being racist. But there is a fear of people where they are losing their own culture. And one of the things that you That's said, right. and I thought it was very profound, was you said that Sweden is one of those countries where you're not allowed to love your own country. And I think that the same can also be said in many respects for England as well. Mm, and mm. so because, and, and in part, again, this is something that you highlight, is Sweden, there's a brand, isn't there? It's about socially mm. progressive values. But the yeah. problem here is, along with that multiculturalism, we are also seeing issues to do with um, censorship, freedom of speech, academic censorship. And you talk about yeah. that as well. Would you expand on that for us and how that is impacting in Sweden? Well, I thought, um, I mean, some, in some ways I feel quite free in, in Sweden, uh, but there's a considerable social conformism. Uh, but there's there's legal freedom. I don't think you have as strong libel laws as you do in the UK. And my my... I'm sort of out, outside the system because I work in English, as it were, so they leave me alone. But I know a lot, I have colleagues at Lund University and they're feeling, whom I've interviewed on my show, and they feel incredibly censored. And when I first arrived in Sweden, I found that there's a kind of personal freedom of space and so on, and people do leave you alone. I mean, the families are quite weak. It's not that kind of intrusiveness. But at the same time, um, there was this incredible, it was woke before Britain became woke. I felt Sweden, yes. Sweden was almost like uh, some people who make shows on TNT have this theory that, you know, uh, there's a world tyranny going on. And t Sweden is often held up as an example because it's a small country, you know, like Apple trial their technology in Sweden because it's a tech savvy country and it's a small country. And you can see the results of your social experiment before you do it elsewhere. Well, Sweden was almost, it's almost as if Sweden was trialed for this cancel culture thing. So when I first came to Sweden, I thought, well, wow. they're ridiculous. You have these, you have to use the word, everyone's equal value once, a sentence almost so people are saying it all the time and it means uh, it's like a com you know you go back to communist russia these are the phrases people had to use to show that they're right. ideologically on the same right. page so i remember going to a theater club or well, my my girlfriend ran a um the local theater society so there's these annual uh fairs where the lo other local theater societies put on their productions and you can hire them in for your local community and there's a guy in a middle-aged guy in a tutu who obviously managed this vast conference center in in sweden and he had a tutu and he was going well of course we we're against the, the far right here and uh i believe in everybody's equal value and then he danced something with his tutu and i thought that somebody's put him up for that you know and i thought this yes yes so inauthentic and i felt so sweden was before that and then about 2018 or 19 uk and, and the Anglosphere caught up and overtook Sweden in its uh, wokeness, as it were. That's how I feel. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the, the, uh, Brits will be very familiar with all this academic censorship, people being chucked out. Uh, there's this, uh, I mean, you know, even like Viking studies, you have to show that the Vikings uh, had a lot of Islamic influence, you know, uh, so they'll re reinterpret some kind of runic inscription and saying well actually that was an arabic inscription um and that and uh that's um yeah so but i'm not um 
I kind of moved on a little bit from 2017. I mean, my main interest is more like NATO and geopolitics. So I'm not a, an encyclopedia on the ridiculous. No, of, well, uh, but it's still a really great insight. And actually, one of the things that you just said really resonated me. You're absolutely right. Sweden has been like an experimental test bed in so many respects, because I remember reading about this. And I was talking with Gemma about mm. this last week, about how um, Swedish employees had been used as a sort of test at the start of the 2000s, where they were having microchips put in their hand in order to be able to access the work canteen. And that's the type of thing you're talking about. And yeah. again, also Sweden, of course, sort of stepped out of the lockstep of what was going around the world in terms of COVID. And Sweden was held up as an exemplary country who stood back and, and wasn't prepared to be dragged in. And what you're yeah. saying is a really interesting insight. I think it's really important. I think the biggest problem we've got is people aren't respecting that each individual person has a right to their culture and their values. And that yeah. is the problem. I, well, my view about it, I mean, immigration is now sort of settled in on something like this. I mean, you can... You, you don't have to be aggressive to, towards uh, let other countries and cultures live their way. But I mean, it's a it's a net loss for the Swedes, especially like the Swedish working class and so on. And their culture is is weakening and, and they have to pay the social costs because they live in the areas where they jostle with with migrants. Uh, and it's a Swedish elite who, 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 who benefit in terms of extra restaurants and cheap labor and so on. But it's a net loss for the, and the Swedish working class. So you could turn it into property issue. The Swedish working class are losing their cohesion, their culture, and they're not being compensated in any way for it. Rather, they're being called fascists or far right. right so they're being right. punished for complaining about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, <clears throat> I, I hear you about saying that, you know, in many respects you've moved on. So I would like to bring you back absolutely to talk about the deep yeah. state because there's a whole yeah. area there that we can explore yeah, yeah, for can... certain. But I, but I just, I think your insight is important, not least because, mm. as you say, your mother is Swedish. You were born in mm. London, but you, you now reside in Sweden. Your girlfriend's Swedish. Your cat is Swedish, presumably. That's right. And right. uh, no. and but you enjoy that way of life. It is a, it is a very beautiful at times, very clean way of life. So, are you really saying though that we need to subscribe more to sort of when in Rome, do as the Romans do? Do you think that's something we need yeah. to take on board I, in our world? I, I just I am I, I think about these things all the time. Well, in just in terms of my life, how am I going to spend the rest of my life? I mean, it's a small town here, and people. It's a farming area, and. And, and their Swedish culture is not really my culture. And um, I live, I read mostly, nearly entirely English and American books and so on. And mentally, and my friends, I email them, are all in English. And so could you spend the rest of your life here? And I said, never. But, you know, you, that's, what I, <laughs> that, that's the way of emigres or whatever. You say never, and you, five years on, you're still there. It's you're very still comfortable there. here. And, I mean, the, the, the violence and so on hasn't affected me particularly and so that's why I backed away from some of those, those uh, rape. I think if you lived in a, in, a, in a suburb with Islamism and so on, I'd have a totally different perspective. So I'm not the right person to talk about that. There's, there's some Swedish guys who go around to the immigrant suburbs and talk about, um, you know, the, the, um, the Islamic moral police and so on. I've been to some of those Stockholm police suburbs where you see a couple of young guys standing around in the, in the tube station and kind of looking every visitor over saying, well, Got this you. is our area. And doing oh, air gosh. and things like that, you know. So. Sounds a bit scary. Sounds a bit scary. So you will, of course, be on TNT, I think, around about lunchtime. This is Pele Neroth Taylor. Absolutely right, fascinating. Yeah. 
we will have another interesting conversation because this is a man who has plenty to say. Trust me, I was looking into your history and I thought, oh, there's lots of bits and pieces there we can talk yeah. about. I just want to say thank you very much to everybody joining us for Wednesday's edition of the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. Pleasure. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me. You can contact me at Sonia Poulton at TNTradio.live. Take good care of yourself. <laughs>